Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello. That was it. Yeah, it's good to, good to, hear, you. Good to hear you. Hear what you bring. This is kind of the A-game. If this is the A-game... <laughs>
sad times <laughs> are these <laughs> have you heard uh, have you heard of this uh, you don't you don't use a mac and that's that makes me sad uh, no, no, but there's a new app uh, for screenwriters called slugline have you heard of this thing i have you have yeah, isn't that the is that the one that uh, our buddy was putting together? No, never mind. That's no, uh, Stu Mashwitz and uh, John no. August. No, that, that is the one. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that well, is so the one. so uh, their frustration with and Stu Mashwitz has been. I mean, he was he was on the visual effects team for Star Wars: A New Hope. Like he's been around for a long, long time. And he's also a coder and a nerd, and he's fantastic to follow on um, on Twitter. You can find him at Five Tu if you want to follow Stu Mashwitz. And John August, you know, we've his, um, you know, he did uh, Big Fish. We like him. Uh, we, we rip, we rip on him a plenty. <laughs> we, well, yeah, we there is some ripping, but I, generally, I, you know, I, I think I'm more, I, I'm more in his corner than you are. Um, well, he's 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 written one movie that's worth talking about, somewhat. <laughs> well, back to my story. Back to back to my time. Oh, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. No, serious. So this, uh, so serious, so seriously, folks. Uh, this John August, uh, if you haven't heard of him, Big Fish, he uh, he and Stu Mashwitz, I th- he actually came up with this uh, this uh, fountain, which is a a mm-hmm. textual um, uh, style for writing screenplays uh, that is lo- based foundationally on Markdown, which is a fantastic syntax for writing HTML in plain text, human readable without having to know the code. It's, it's really great. I'm a huge fan of Markdown. And so he took this idea of Markdown where you can just type and be able to read it and then process it, run it through this processor and create beautiful styled compliant HTML. And he said, you know, we could do the same thing for, for screenplays. And uh, so we, he created this, this fountain text processor, and Stu Mashwitz uh, and his team came together, and they said, you know, we could actually make an application out of this, not just a, a text processor. And so they call it Slugline. It's available in the Mac App Store, and it's beautiful. It's really beautiful and seems really, really smart. Um, it, it seems, I mean, they, they get rid of essentially all the buttons and allow you to create uh, based on, you know, just some very simple and memorable, uh, you know, conventions that you would know if you're writing a screenplay. You just write in text and it automatically handles all the formatting for you and outputs a, a sort of industry standard first draft uh, that is that you can then take and import into final draft to do the production drafts, of the shooting drafts of the script. And I have been really sort of lusting over it. I think it's quite beautiful and I, it makes me wish that you used a Mac because because it's based on a te- simple text file. It's super easy to sync using Dropbox or or whatever, and uh, I think it opens the door for some really great collaboration. Uh, and it's very cheap. How much is Final Draft? It's like nine million dollars now, I think, for a single user license. It's not that much. It's maybe nine and maybe, a half, maybe eight million million dollars. And this is like forty bucks, and yeah. uh, and it's it's super. So. I, if you are a Mac screenwriter, you should check it out. It's really cool. And you, you should also generally check out Markdown because it's great. I use the heck out of it. The more time John August spends on developing better screenwriting software is only uh, going to benefit everybody because he's turning out less bad scripts. Do you know what I forgot to tell you? He's going to be our guest on the show next week. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I can tell him what I think uh, right to his face. Good grief. <laughs> Buzz kill. Look at you. No, but that is exciting. It is very exciting. And it's, uh, Markdown in general is something everybody should learn. It's so Everybody already learned, knows it. That's the thing. It's a, it's a, it's a guerrilla writing. You already know it. You don't even know that you know it. I apparently do, and I don't even know it yet. I know. All right. Wow. What are we Crazy. doing? What are we do? That was a plug, for, for, but it was related to film, right? But it was a plug. It just shows you what's on my mind. Screenwriting. Yeah. yeah. That's um, where it all starts. It, sh- it sure enough is. Uh, what are we doing? This is the next reel, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Pete Wright. And that over there is Andy Nelson. Hello, Andy. Hello. And we're here to talk about movies and spoil them heavily for you. Uh, you can find us at thenextreel.com. And you know, did you see I added a new button? Absolutely. You did not. You're lying because I hear you typing I'm going right, right now. now. What is this new button? Check the new button. See if you can discover it. The new button is a little bit premature uh, because we aren't quite to this number yet, but 
we have a new button there. If you want to see all the movies that we have done and our ranking, you can head over Ooh. there and you'll see a brand fancy new button, the next real top 100 over at Flickchart. And why is it premature? Because I think we've only ranked, what, 87? <laughs> Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not at a hundred yet, but eventually we're going to get there. And, um, and so you can see our, our top 87, uh, with my little white lie that we're actually at a hundred. Eventually it'll be a hundred. That's right. And so you can check out all the movies that we've done in our ranking. And now, uh, speaking of number one, currently ranked number one, heavyweight champion of the world, Patty Chayefsky's network. Uh, and, uh, we're going to see if we can. We can overthrow that tonight. We'll see. Uh, cool. We're gonna, well, we're gonna, it's going to be Patty Chayefsky against Patty Chayefsky tonight. That's right. Uh, and so find us at thenextreel.com. Check out the blog over there. And uh, then you can go over to Facebook and like us over there, too. Uh, that's where uh, it, the conversation's happening, over at facebook.com slash thenextreel. Uh, and uh, you can comment, join us, like us, and then finally subscribe to us. Head over to iTunes, search for us in iTunes at the next reel and you can subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of podcasty goodness. Um, and you can see right on the website, you can subscribe with RSS audio. If you use your own, uh, if, if you roll your own podcast client or uh, iTunes audio, will take you right to the iTunes store. And uh, we sure appreciate it if you do that. What else did I miss? I think you hit all of it, man. All right. We're, we're going to talk about some trailers. It's a big trailer week. There were quite a few good ones, yes, indeed. What lit you up this week? What, what did you get excited about? Well, the one that really got me excited was the Captain Phillips trailer. Because, uh, be, uh, on the well, merits, or because it's a Tom Hanks movie and that's just what happens to you? That Well, okay, on both. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am a little uh, nutty for Tom Hanks, except for when he does things like uh, Larry Crown. But... I uh, I love Tom Hanks, and I think he's fantastic. And Captain Phillips looks great, but also because it's Paul Greengrass's latest film. And, you know, we've talked about him quite a, a number of times on our show before. And I think he brings a lot to the table. And this is a very exciting story. This is a th- uh, an action thriller where Tom Hanks plays Captain Phillips, the real-life captain of the ship that, back in 2009, was hijacked by Somali pirates off the coast of Africa. It looks uh, gripping. It looks uh, very exciting, and I am quite looking forward to seeing this. It opens in October, and uh, it's uh, not going to come fast enough for me. Yeah, I, I have. I think it actually it does. It looks really good. I'm excited about it. Um, it's uh, it's it's exciting. I particularly, you know, I I love Tom Hanks when he's you know when he gets all serious. I think he's. He's he's a compelling actor to watch, but the one that really struck me was the the sort of lead Somali. Yeah, uh, right. I I found I just even watching this trailer, I found myself riveted by his the way he engaged Tom Hanks on the bridge of that ship. Well, and I like that they cast somebody who does not look like Denzel Washington as right. the Somali pirate. Uh, you know, yeah. this is a guy who they look like they plucked a guy out of the Somali pirate lineup. Exactly. And said, okay, you're going to play the pirate. <laughs> I mean, that's a terrible thing to say. I'm sure he's that's, a wonderful actor. But... That's a that's right. That's a little bit. <laughs> I think, I think that, yeah, I think you just offended people. Some people are offended by you right now. Some people are probably yeah, offended but, by you. But, but it's, looks, and yet it's true. It's the it's only because they did an amazing job with the hair and makeup. He's he is stunningly well cast. The entire sort of pirate army stunningly well cast. It's like straight off a uh, you know newsreel. Um, I I felt like I was I I was nervous for the people on this boat. Yeah. All they had was fire hoses and slingshots. <laughs> it's like the worst defense. I couldn't believe it. It's just like and okay, it's well, on the radio. Turn, it's just turn your hoses on. That's right. You better turn your hoses on. Uh, like, hoses? That's it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, although you have to admit, they have some serious hoses on that ship. Yeah, I I, th- I was picturing guys like hose. Staying, uh, yeah, like like spraying these guys with a hose. <laughs> like a no. sprinkler hose with the yeah, little like... pinhole in it. You know, pinholes in it. <laughs> these are some serious hoses. I'm going to so. drip irrigate all over you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, very much that's, Cap- that. that's Captain Phillips, yeah. All right. Oops. You know, I'm gonna. I I'm totally serious on this one. I'm doing the butler. 
Uh, if you're, if you've seen the trailer for the butler. I've seen the trailer. Yeah, this looks good. I, you know, I don't know what I'm more excited. Really? So, the, the butler is. Uh, we've got. Um, uh, you know, this is. Uh, the what's his name? It's uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Play, Whitaker plays yeah. a uh, a White House buzz based on a true story. A, a article written by Will Haygood. Uh, screenplay by uh, gosh the precious guys Lee Daniels yeah. and uh, Danny Strong, and. Uh, so it it follows the life of uh, this this real life butler o- over the course of uh, you know eight presidents in the White House and uh, it's a it it looks to me the same sort of kind of tone and tenor of the movie that I wanted forty two to be yeah you know like it, it the the expectation of the way we the way they use uh, this. Uh, this character to tell the story of of race over the course now of generations, and I I think that is uh, I think it looks it, it looks great. Oprah Winfrey's in it, uh, and so you know it'll undoubtedly uh, do do well. Um, but, but really, who's but not in it? That, that was what I was going to say. I mean, it, it's it's a um, uh, this is a if there ever was a film that was star studded, this is the one. Um, you know, John Cusack, Robin Williams, Terrence Howard, James Marsden, Alan Rickman, Lee Schreiber, uh, Forrest Whitaker, Melissa Leo, Minka Kelly, Jane Fonda, Cuba Gooding Jr., Vanessa Redgrave, Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. uh, David Oyelowo. Uh, Lenny Kravitz, Oprah Winfrey, Neil and Ellis. Uh, it's just on and on and on and on on this film. So well, and the thing that that uh, I love to see reading the cast list is not just who's in it, but you have John Cusack as Richard Nixon, Robin Williams as Dwight Eisenhower, <laughs> James Marsden as JFK, Alan Rickman as Ronald Reagan, Lee Schreiber as Lyndon B. Johnson. Yes, uh, it's like oh my goodness, this is crazy. Totally. So, uh yeah it it looks uh, it looks absolutely fantastic yeah yeah it really does looks like uh looks like it's going to be a uh a, a, a strong film and probably something that uh they I'm sure they're hoping uh, people are talking about come award season and yes. from the looks of the trailer it very well uh, will be I think so too. I think it's going to be a big one, and, yeah. and and so given that, and now that we've done each of our trailers, I have to also mention uh, that this was also the week that, uh, um, it, you know, that other one that I like so much came out. Ender's the Game. Ender's Game came out, and mm-hmm. it, it looks like exactly the movie I expected it to be: uh, taking a small child and making him seem like an adult soldier in a space war. Mm-hmm. I the other, I'm very excited the- about it. I, I am I I'm too you know I'm I'm tempering myself because as 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 unexcited as I am about the author and as much as he just drives me crazy I'm trying to put that aside and focus on it much like I do the outlaw Josie Wales I don't think about the author as the KKK man I think about the filmmakers and the people who came together to make the film a great film I'm trying to think about that when I think about Ender's Game. I think that's good for you. I, I, cause I, I want to see it. I guess that's what it boils yeah. down to. The other trailer that I just have to throw out because I'm super excited and, and inevitably, I think we're probably going to have to talk about it is the world's end. Did I see this trailer yet? I don't know. I, don't I emailed know. Wait, you a note. Wait, wait I told a minute. you. Now wait just a minute. Uh, the world's my... end. This is a Simon Pegg, uh, Nick yeah. Frost. Uh, this is the, the, th- this th- is oh, the... this is the thing. This the, is the inevitable part three. part three of the three flavor Cornetto's trilo- Cornetto trilogy. That's right. God, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I I thought of a different movie. I thought I'd already seen this trailer, and I have not. Oh well, you'll have to watch it later. <laughs> uh, I look forward to this one too. I know Martin, Martin Freeman is getting around, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Once you're a Hobbit, everybody wants you. <laughs> okay, now we have to do a quick mini review. Because I, I think you know, both of us have come to terms with our, our Friday movie experience, and I very much would like to know what you thought of Iron Man three. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I I liked it. I I didn't get um, emotionally involved with it. I find this with a lot of these Marvel films. I really enjoy it. I think Shane Black is a smart filmmaker. I enjoy how he makes his films, how the, the structure, just the way he plays with the script breaks a lot of conventions. 
uh, I never really got engrossed. You know, certain elements that happen later in the film didn't, you know, trigger that um, that emotional funny bone and uh, and uh, make me <laughs> emotionally vested in the characters. <laughs> but I still walked out of there enjoying it. So that's that's my feeling of it. I did too. I you know, it, it, I as we were texting after after I saw the movie, I I realized I was having a hard time sort of ranking it, you know, because that's always your first kind of instinct is to rank it next to the other two and and uh, and in you know, all of the Iron Man sort of properties. And I had such a hard time uh, because I knew something of the extremist uh, storyline and and I uh, I have already been um I'm already pretty familiar with how they have butchered up the the uh, elements from the comic to create this new cinematic universe, and and uh, I I had some trouble with that in the first one. I sort of let it go in the second one, and this one surprised me. Um, I, I think what he chose to do with this one uh, was particularly jarring. The way they he he sort of the the changes he made to the uh, particularly to the the cast of um, evildoers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm I sort of want to dance around that because yeah. it's still so new. It is a, uh, it's not what I expected. The twist at the end was not what I expected. Uh, what I expected them to do with the with the the characters, and and uh, it's grown on me. Um, I, I think mostly to the credit of the great um, Sir Ben Kingsley. Uh, he's just a treat to watch in this context. Yeah, and uh, and so I'm. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I always, um, you know, I, I really um, love the entire cast. I, I think they all did a fantastic job. And, and um, this was certainly uh, a spectacle in terms of just the visual effects of those suits. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It was it was a roller coaster. That scene at the that sequence at the end uh, on the the uh, ship rigging was unreal. Yeah, uh, the complexity of that. I, I, it's, it was, it was a real ride, and I, I enjoyed every, uh, I enjoyed it all the way through. I still yeah. think the second one might be my favorite. Yeah, which I think, I think you're just crazy because well, the second me. one, I think, I, I don't it's know. Not like it's you just, hate the second one. Right? I, 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 mean, I, I probably wouldn't watch it again. I, what? I just walked out of there going, God, that was garbage. I really <laughs> hated the second one. <laughs> I don't understand why people like it so much. I think it was just a terrible film. But Mickey Rourke, man, he did great. He was fine as the character, but uh, overall the film just didn't work. All right, I'm going to watch it again. See if I can see if I can muster that same level of of hate for it that you have. I'm going to work there you up go. to that. There you go. Uh, the, the one the one thing I will say about Iron Man three is people have to stop casting Guy Pierce if he has to appear much younger or if he has to appear much older. I don't buy him as an, a 90-some-year-old guy in Prometheus, and I don't buy him as a pimply-faced college kid. He yeah. looks great for his age, but he doesn't work well when you're pushing him to extremes. God, you are so, <laughs> so right. I, that, I don't know why they felt the need to fully Igor him yeah, uh, in, the, in the opening sequence, but uh, I didn't find it as repellent as his performance in Prometheus, but... Um, it just the the makeup in Prometheus and I but this was this was just really silly. It was. It was. Overall, Luckily that was that was only like five minutes. Of the yeah, film, right, so. right. Overall, great film. They opened with Blue, Blue Dabadi. Which I, I as I told you, I thought it was a, I thought I was in the wrong theater. Uh that song <laughs> totally threw me out of context. And if you see it, you gotta stay all the way to the end. Not for the after credits bit, which there is, um, which is, you know, it's fine, it's funny. Uh, but for the closing credit run is complete, full-on Hawaii Five-O, and I thought it was great. I, <laughs> I love the way he, uh, Simon Black shakes or uh, Shane, Shane Black. Black shakes up the. Uh, shakes, it was fun. shakes up things. It was very fun. Go see that movie. Totally worth it. All right. So what what else? What else do you want to talk about? Speaking of good writers, shall we? I guess we're talking about Patty. I'm excited about this. What did you think of it? Now you said you said you hadn't seen this film, right? I had seen uh, I had seen like the first uh, twenty or thirty minutes. That's that's all I had ever watched of this film before. Mm-hmm. Not for any particular reason, like I thought it was awful or anything. I just got caught up in something else and and just never ended up coming back to it. Mm. I I like it. I don't like it as much as Network. If anything, this almost seems like training ground for Network. 
mm-hmm. like moving into kind of finding his the right pattern for the great satire that he had going on in network. This one, I, I think it has a great tone most of the time. And there's a there's a few times where it kind of hiccups and it kind of goes in directions that I don't quite understand why it needs to go in those directions. But uh, but that's okay because I still found the characters immensely engrossing. I felt found their dialogue really enjoyable. Just listening to Patty Chayefsky's dialogue that he puts in people's mouths, particularly their lengthy monologues, which he really does enjoy. I love listening to that, and for that reason alone, I think this film is definitely worth uh, checking out. I, I absolutely agree with you. I was trying to figure out how you know the best way to characterize my feeling in this film, and I, I it comes down to this: I really love the first seventy minutes of this film. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, there's that sort of parenthetical that that there is. I I feel like I'm. I'm riding with him. I'm loving the dialogue. I don't find any of the individual characters in this film all that compelling. Even George C. Scott, I think, is um, you know, as our our lead doctor, is uh, um, you know, kind of a dotard in this film. I, I'm not really a- attracted uh, to his struggles. Um, but I, what I love, I think, the most about this film is the environment that they set up and and uh, capitalize on in this hospital. The the chaos, um, the the activity that they set up in and around the scenes that we're watching. I mean, it's almost more entertaining to watch what's going on behind the action than than uh, you know the action uh, itself. And then to me, it falls apart uh, in the end. And and you know, we can talk more about that um, you know uh, in, in a bit. Yeah. No, and I, I think you're right on track with kind of the, the feelings I have for it. I um, The beginning of it, I loved, and that's what I remembered of this movie from the you know 30 or so minutes of it that I had seen. Well, I walk think, through, can you walk through it, just walk through what the, what the film is about? Because I have a feeling people are going to be, uh, you know, if you have, uh, I, I doubt most people have seen this movie. I'm going to say that. No, and it's not super easy to find. Um, Amazon does have it streaming. Other than that, Netflix does not have it. Uh, iTunes has it. iTunes has it, yeah. Uh, but if you have Prime, Amazon, it's free. So yeah, yep. that's fantastic. Um, it's it's the story of a hospital where <laughs> really not a lot is going right. This is definitely a hospital you do not want to check into. Um, there's protesters outside protesting the fact that the hospital has bought a building next door. Uh, that was condemned, they're going to turn it into, I don't know, some other sort of assisted living sort of place. And the residents there who, for whatever reason, even though it's been condemned, they are protesting the hospital. I think um, they were. I think that was the, actually the uh, ecumenical liberation organization. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they just evicted them out of their homes. <laughs> and that's how they got so mad. That's right. Came back that's, in network. That's right. Uh, so in this hospital... Things just go wrong because pretty much any of the people working there, doctors, nurses, just don't seem to really be paying that close attention to uh, to people, to the diagnostic you know, tests that are coming back from people. Right from the beginning of the film, we hear narration, which coincidentally is narrated by Patty Chayefsky, talking about this character who comes in. Uh, his name is, I'm going to have to look it up here, um, but he comes in for emphysema. They misdiagnose him. And they start treating him for the wrong things, and he ends up dying. It was Guernsey is this character's name. Mm-hmm. And you hear this story all in context of how this bed ended up getting vacated because a doctor then proceeds to use it for some late-night uh, uh, coital activity with one of the nurses. And so this is the sort of thing going on. And then that doctor, the next morning, a nurse comes in and she finds a body in the bed and she checks it and it's dead and it happens to be that doctor. (laughs) So people keep ending up dead, like doctors and nurses keep ending up dead throughout the film. George C. Scott, he's the head of this hospital uh, of the, I I don't know, he's the... He's the chief of surgery. Chief of surgery, thank you. I I don't watch doctor shows. I'm not a doctor person, so I just like that. I try to avoid all of that. But yes, he's the chief of surgery. He's the head of all this. He uh, is suicidal. He is uh, drinking a lot. He 
uh, is living in a, a hotel room, I believe, because he, uh, his wife had kicked him out or he had left. They had kicked their kids out. He's not in touch with any of them. He's pretty miserable. He doesn't like his work anymore. Not a happy guy. And so, so that's kind of the setup of the film. We have him now trying to deal with all the messes that are happening in the hospital and everything that's going on. Plus, that, now we have Diana Rigg, whose father is in a coma in the bed next to the one where this guy had uh, died. And, and she comes to visit her father with a, a Native American uh, guy who starts chanting prayers over the, the father and all this stuff because... That's, they all live on this reservation out in Mexico. And so mm -hmm. it's that sort of crazy sort of hospital where just wacky things are happening. And, and in all of that, you get these amazing characters. Yeah, and, and you get uh, sort of, I mean, I think the first uh, half hour really invests in the, the satire that, you, that, you know, Chayefsky was, was, you know, demonstrating, which is all about the state of medicine, Right. Um, through the uh, general clumsiness of the environment in this hospital, as you say, the just obliviousness of, uh, you know, who's who, which patients are, are, you know, in which beds, in which rooms, in which, you know, operating theater. Uh, you know, it, it's all framed by the constant din of the finance people asking for the Blue Cross Blue Shield account numbers so yeah. that they can pay for these services. And he he paints this picture that really hit me sideways that we have you know this is you know i don't know how whether chayefsky was uh you know painting a picture of what will be or really what was at the time i was you know too young at the time to know but I th think I generally have this feeling that that we've been struggling with healthcare, you know, for the most of my lifetime, and not, uh, and that maybe it's a fairly a much more sort of recent occurrence that healthcare is such a major issue. But what this film really paints this picture, the the satire paints this picture that we've been dealing with this for over forty years, and clearly, if it gets to the point that Chayefsky is satirizing um, the heinousness of the hospital system, um, you know. We, we were already at a pretty dark point. And, and that, I think, was a, was a real lesson to me more historically than cinematically um, of, of the picture he was painting of, of the medical culture in this country. Well, I think that was a big thing. And, and yeah, that was the first thing I thought watching the movie is thank the, my lucky stars that I did not have to go to the hospital, go through a hospital system back in the late 60s, early 70s. Because what a frightening place that right, was. Right. I mean, I you know, my sense was we're probably better off than they were then because at least we kind of have computerized systems. They seem to have at least that sort of stuff organized or, better. Sure, yeah. our system is still a major mess for a lot of other reasons. Yeah, we've solved a I lot mean, of problems, but it, we're well, like things problems, are still very messy. Yeah, but I mean, the problems they're, they're specifically addressing in this film, like misdiagnosis, apathy yeah. about you know di uh, the diagnoses, um, you know, patients laying in a room so long that the doctors just aren't even checking them and unaware that a person's just dead yeah. in the corner. Which, which uh, I think is such a great point in this film, and that's repeated. Yeah. That's the one gift of the last act is the these patients died because they were forgotten to death. Yeah, and that is a killer line. I mean, it's yeah. just killer refrain yeah absolutely it's and and that's that's kind of what he's saying about the system you know from what i was reading he was actually partially inspired to write this script on uh, attacking institutionalized medicine after his wife she had had an experience at a hospital she was suffering from a neurological disorder and had they had a really unhappy experience dealing with incompetent staff uh, just the people in the hospital didn't know what they were doing. They were apathetic. Um, he was so frustrated with the system, and that's what really kind of brought this uh, script forward. And he got so much negative flack from this script and from everybody after the fact that he actually, uh, I, I can't remember what happened. I think he developed some sort of cancer later in his life in uh, late 70s, early 80s. That from I think it was from his uh, smoking habit. He was afraid to go to the... Uh, to the hospital to see any doctors about it because he was still afraid that they were going to uh, uh, treat him poorly purposefully because of this film or, or just because he felt that this was really how they were. They were just so, so bad that, uh, it, and he ended up just dying from his cancer. So man, 
Talk yeah. about <laughs> talking about laying in the bed you made. That's right. Huh? Oh, <laughs> Patty, Patty, Patty. So, yeah. um, okay. So the things that I, you know, it, it's funny when you look at the start looking at the patterns of the films that that um, you know that Chayefsky writes. It seems like there are sort of two character classes that that he's he's writing. Uh, there are those who are totally sort of oblivious to their current state, right? When you look at at uh, network, you have the network executives that are uh, that are just going about their business because they're you know making money, and that's the system that they're in. You have the hospital administrators that are just looking to keep the hospital walls up, and that this is the system that that exists, so they're going to deal with it. So there, there's a sort of cast that is the moral oblivious, and the other cast of characters, those who have worked hard to get where they are, lost everything, are deeply frustrated, uh, depressed, uh, suicidal, and uh, white and male. <laughs> you, you know, and, and now we've now we've painted, I really like the way you characterize George C. Scott, or char- characterize this film as a work in progress leading to network, because I think George C. Scott, in, in uh, you know, every uh, other way, reads to me like a work in progress for Howard Beale. Yeah, he does. Uh, although, you know, that being said, not to not to belittle George C. Scott's character or his performance in this film, because I, I really like George C. Scott and I think he's strong in this film. Mm-hmm. And his scene uh, when he's sitting with Diana Rigg in his office and they're talking and and uh, he's kind of going on about his impotency and everything. And, you know, because she had been flirting with him and all that. Right, so you're talking about there. This was the late at night. Uh, yeah, this was the, the late at late at night scene. He after. offers her a drink, and they they get they start getting conversationally intimate. Yes, right. She starts flirting with yeah. him because she likes older guys. He says, "Don't bother. I'm impotent." And then it goes on into a much larger scale conversation about you know his impotence in his life, not just you know sexually impotent, but just kind of what it means. And uh, there's so much emotion and power in that scene. It was just gripping. And that's what I mean when Patty Chayefsky has these amazing monologues for these characters where they just, the actor really just gets to get in there and they really get to be that character and be that part. And, and George C. Scott, uh, he played it so well, like uh, the whole time he really felt like a guy who was depressed, who was suicidal and who was on the brink. And uh, I think it worked so well seeing that scene played by him. I, I really liked that. And it is an interesting comparison with Howard Beale's character or with the character of Howard Beale. But at the same time, I think it's, it's different in interesting ways. It's not a, um, a person who's necessarily gone mad. This is just a person who really has just kind of hit this pit where he feels like there's nothing anymore. He's impotent in his career. He just doesn't find uh, drive. He doesn't feel like they're doing anything. And it's just, it was a powerful scene, a powerful performance, mm-hmm. powerful writing. Yeah. I, you know, I agree. I, um, I, I think George C. Scott, uh, you know, he's, um, he's a big actor. <laughs> that, yes. You know, he's a big actor. I was going to say he was strongest when he was chewing people out. You know, when he's chewing out the head nurse, when he's yeah. chewing, you know, about where do they get their training in, in Dachau, you know, I mean, yeah. there are these great, these great zinger lines, and he's so great at, at dealing with them. And, and um, I, I think he does a good depressed uh, middle-aged man. Yeah. I mean, he, he, at the time, likely was channeling some pretty natural natural emotions. Yeah, I mean and he was. Uh, he yeah, at was that time a, he was an alcoholic and he yeah. was he was drinking, I think from what I read, I think he was actually drinking on set and he it ended up really helping. I mean, I shouldn't say helping his performance, <laughs> but it made his apart thank you, Mr. Scott. Feel, feel more natural, I guess. <laughs> uh, the ultimate method. Uh oh, you know, right. it's a it it's just I I think my problem with George C. Scott uh, with with the character of um, you know of Doctor Bach is is more in the script than the performance. It's this whole idea that he can he uh, that he moved through these emotions that his reaction to um, you know Barbara Drummond from uh, sort of zero to lovelorn was so fast. Yeah, uh, and when we hit the Scooby Doo ending, right. Um, 
I I felt like it just was not an earned relationship. It was right. not an earned relationship. This was a procedural film. This was a caper film. This was a satire. And dealing with his depression, moving into this love-lust relationship was not, it, it just was not, uh, pra- you know, practiced. It wasn't where the film should have gone. No. No, that it was out me, of left field. Well, yeah, that relationship. And then... And then the when, bit at the end. I mean, I don't mind the bit at the end so much, kind of what you're calling the Scooby-Doo ending. It's just, it, it, I, I liked what he was saying by it, but it just all came across in the most just, I don't know, plotting way that just felt like, ugh, God, it just, it, the, the filmmaking and everything about it. And maybe it was Arthur Hiller's direction. I don't know. I haven't read the script, but it just, it felt just kind of cloy. And I, I was just not very interested once we started getting flashbacks of, oh, this is what really happened. And, yeah. and you know, what was so disappointing about that for me was that I felt like the first, that's why I, I really zero in on the first 70 minutes at that, at that 70 minute mark is when, uh, Drummond himself played by, uh, um, Bernard Hughes uh, stands up and we realize he's not in a coma. He's not on death's door, that he's actually been channeling the voice of God and that he is the the great redeemer. And he's going around um, not directly killing people, but putting them in a place such that the hospital would kill them on his behalf. Right. 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 And the way that is exposed, first of all, I didn't think the film needed it. I thought it had a, a a deep and kind of satisfying patter of of watching these important people uh, get churned up and killed. Absolutely. By this hospital system that was, you know, the satire was that the hospital itself was capable of destroying the people that came in completely, you know, to be healed, trusting and to be and, and healthy. Right. And they just got worse. And that was an interesting enough story. And then Drummond stands up and starts doing this uh, this channeling bit. And it, it really, I mean, that's the Scooby-Doo bit for me. Say, and, saying things like, I yeah. am the fool for Christ and the paraclete of Caborca. Yeah, and they kept <laughs> saying the Caborca thing over and over uh, again. It just becomes, uh, it, it just, it was a lead balloon for me. I, I um, and, and I think that's a, a lot of the reception of the film was, um, you know, at the time I think was was fairly similar, that that it, it went in this crazy direction at the end and gave up a lot of the... Um, a, a lot of the emotional tie that it had earned in the first half of the film. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, yeah, I agree. It's uh it's bizarre. It kind of goes off on a strange tangent that doesn't really make any sense. And it does seem to take some of the steam away from the really interesting satirical look at a hospital that's meant to be healing people. That is like he says, it's killing people uh, through forgetfulness. They're just they're forgetting these people and and not paying attention to things that are uh, obvious and and that people are dying because of it. Right. If he had used that as the satire and continued that throughout, it would have ended up making a stronger film, I think. And I think the other piece going back to to uh, Doctor Bach's character, I think this the. You know, we have this a couple of mentions of the fact that he's had suicidal tendencies, and yet uh, I, I think that was ultimately kind of not. Uh, not a realized plot point, you know, like he was, well, uh, he was sad. It, I thought that I, I bought into that suicidal bit, um, but only, and maybe it's only because of that one scene that I had already brought up with him and Barbara, uh, when they're in his office and when he's ready to, he's about to shoot up with potassium and just kill himself. Something that he had talked about earlier with the, sh- the hospital shrink. Um, it's just, I, I think the performance of George C. Scott in that scene leading up to that, it's just, and it's silence, just watching him as he's just getting ready to do it. I really bought into his despair and bottoming out. And it's interesting that the conversation that he has with her about being impotent and everything is really the thing that kind of leads him to this point where he's like, yeah, I'm finally going to do it. I'm done. I feel this, I'm so impotent and everything. And then as he's about to do it, she she comes back in, realizing that he may not have been joking about saying he was suicidal, and uh, essentially stops him. And he's so angry with her 
that he rapes her and basically becoming non-impotent anymore. He finally breaks through that. So it's interesting that, you know, she comes in both times. Once it drives him to near suicide and the second time it drives him to life again. And, you know, I can see in that maybe why a character would mistakenly think that he had now fallen in love with somebody. Uh, you know, I can, I can maybe buy into that, although it's, it's one of those sorts of emotional moments. I think the emotions are so high that it's probably, and that's probably why he makes the decision at the end, you know, I really have to stay here. I can't go running off to Mexico to live on a, the reservation with you. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see that. I, I think about that sequence and, and you know when you look at that sequence in isolation, I think it it's um, I think you're right, and I think as a short kind of character study of the impotence of the depressed middle aged man, um, you know there may be something there. In the context of the film about the healthcare debate, I didn't need he was already uh, like his reaction to just being in this hospital system was enough. Yeah. Right. And going down that road, I felt like was a distraction to me. There were just this. This was a film of fantastic language and just beautiful words coming out of great mouths, and a an overall story arc that was just full of distraction for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to talk about some some of the cast highlights? Yeah, there are. Because everybody uh, was in this movie. Yeah, I mean Richard Dysart, who we've talked about before on in the thing who's mm-hmm. just always fantastic. He pops in as Dr. Welbeck. Another doctor who uh, George C. Scott's character uh, is kind of against because he had been um, sloppily uh, ended up killing somebody, as I recall, right? Well, and what's Or messing somebody's case up. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think what was interesting about Welbeck's character was that, uh, you know, this was a doctor who was, who was a profiteer. Mm-hmm. And he came in, he had attachment to the hospital, so he was able to come in and do surgery. But he came in, he also developed a, a call service that he was selling out to other doctors. He, he had, uh, you know, he had products that were being traded openly on the market. He, uh, you know, he was, uh, he had companies that were uh, you know, publicly traded and all, all in the medical profession and, or in the medical field. And so he was the epitome of conflict of interest. And right. I, I found that it, it was interesting in a film that is about sort of prognostication of the future of the healthcare industry. Let's show how disastrous it is now and how disastrous it'll become. Uh, Dr. Welbeck's character really is the representation of what is to come. And at the end, uh, Dr. Welbeck uh, ends up uh, falling, His, but not just dying as part of the overall Kaborka plan. Uh, but his he ends up being extorted by his partner and and um, uh, is he ends up dying broke, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was an interesting kind of reflection. I I don't know if that was uh, if if that was uh, I I don't know. It sort of played counter to the to the satire to me. Yeah, I wasn't really sure where they were going with that. It was an interesting uh, a bit with his character and how they were uh, making him out to be, and then and how he ended. Uh, at the end of the film. Yeah, I mean, in the locker room, they had, you know, everybody was like asking him questions about how to manage their money. And, and, you know, he was being set up as the, you know, sort of the messiah. Right. Yeah. And, and in that sense, I mean, it's, it's comical in a way how he does, uh, his character (laughs) does end up um, getting resolved in the film. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I felt like there could have been a little more with him. Um, you know, but that being said, I mean, I don't know. It's it's it was still an interesting character. I still enjoyed it. No, I I agree. But but yeah. I think when you when you say there could be more with him, that's an example of one of those trade offs for me that I found uh, distracting. That that was a point that I did want to see more of in exchange for yeah less of the gooey stuff. Kaborka yeah the Kaborka stuff right. Um, George C. Scott, of course, is uh, fantastic in this. He'd been around forever fantastic actor who actually had just won the Oscar the year before. And I believe, I think he had refused to accept the nomination and the award for Patton because he didn't feel himself to be in competition with the other actors. Mm-hmm. Um, the producer had accepted on his behalf and all that stuff, but he had no problem um, appearing the following year when he was nominated for best actor in the hospital. He did a great job in this film, of course, but he lost out to Gene Hackman from The French, French Connection. Connection. Yeah. What do you think? Was that deserved? 
mean, yeah. You, I mean, do you think uh, you, you think um, I deserved it over? Scott? You know, yeah. I I don't know. I've <laughs> I've such a a place in my heart for French Connection. I think that uh, Gene Hackman did great. Now, I haven't seen, I didn't see Sunday Bloody Sunday with Peter Finch, who mm-hmm. we know is great. I haven't seen Koch with Walter Math- Matthau. I definitely would have picked The Hospital, George C. Scott, or Gene Hackman over Topol from Fiddler on the Roof, as much as I enjoy that film. But to me, it's like, eh, okay, but these other guys have a little more power in their, right. in their performance. Okay, uh, so Richard Dysart, we talked about George C. Scott, um, uh, Bernard Di- Hughes. Bernard Hughes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is fantastic, is a, a fantastic character actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, he's Yeah, he's one of those guys that you just see in everything. I mean, geez, he's been acting. Uh, he was in Tron. He was in Lost Boys. He was in Midnight Cowboy. I mean, he's got that <laughs> such a such a dis, uh, like a uh, dis, uh, distinctive voice. Yeah, uh, he's he's tough to miss. Uh, acting from the '50s all the way through 2000, so a man who has been around. Just yeah, one of those great faces, mm-hmm. and with with a really fantastic full name, Bernard Aloysius Kiernan Hughes. Oh, awesome! That's great. Diana Rigg, we have to mention her. Who's fantastic in this? Well, I, I I won't say she's fantastic in this. She's always fantastic to look at. I think is Diana yeah, Rigg. I, yeah. She's what can I say? I mean, she's a Bond girl, you know. Uh, she's she's lovely. Um, she was in the Avengers. You know, she's just yep. been around forever. And you, you know, she's still out there right now. I mean, geez, she's in Game of Thrones for Pete's sake. Oh my goodness, is she ever? Mm. She is fantastic. <laughs> in Game of Thrones, are you, are, you're not watching this season. I, you're not, I, you I haven't started. I need to. I need to start watching it. Absolutely. Wait, you haven't watched any of it? Have we? I haven't about watched. This? I haven't watched any of it. Don't I'm don't up. don't hate me. Don't hate me. She's so good. It's such yeah. a soap opera. Okay, so Diana Rigg, she's perfect. And uh, in, in, although in this film, uh, you know, I think understated. Uh, she's. I I needed. She's a. She's I needed a former... more. I needed more of her. She's a former acid head hippie sort of type. So, yeah. yeah I mean, and a nurse. Yeah. Oh. Um, and then little bit parts of people like Catherine Helmand, which was fun to see her in you an know, early role. You know why I love seeing Catherine Helmand is because uh, I, I get to say things like, oh, Catherine Helmand from Benson with Robert Guillaume and Rene Aubergenois. <laughs> That's, uh, I've been That's looking right. forward to that for a day. Since, right. I think of her in three fil- three things. One, Brazil, my all-time favorite oh, yes. film. Two, Time Bandits, which oh, is, yes. she's also genius in. And three, Who's the Boss? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She's uh, mom. So for, perpetually be in my head uh, with those. Yeah. Who, what uh, was her name? Uh, uh, Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing appears yeah. in like a, one brief little scene. I thought that was uh, quite a little thing. I'm like, oh, look, it's, it's, right? it's Stalker. Yeah, that was uh, fun to see her pop up. Frances Sternhagen is always great as the like cantankerous sort of secretary type of person. <laughs> and man, is she in this film. Oh, she's absolutely she, she's fantastic. She is great. She is just so great. Gosh, she is still acting. She is still keeping busy at, uh, how old is she? She was born in 1930. Mm. So she is a busy, busy lady. Wow. Uh, let's see who else uh, stood out. We we had we already mentioned Patty Chayefsky as the opening narrator. Uh, yeah. It was fun hearing his voice. So many. I mean, the list of uncredited, um, the, you know, folks in here. Christopher Guest uh, is an uncredited resident. Uh, it was fun seeing him plodding around. Um, oh my goodness, the list goes yeah. on and on. Anyhow. Uh, so, you know, a fantastic cast. I think the length of the list gets back to that earlier point of just the busyness that they they were able to capture in this in this hospital. And I, you know, I think ER on its best days. You remember ER used to do these fantastic live, um, you know, live events. Uh, they right. Would do these season premieres, you know, where or uh, finales. Right. They would do them live, like single camera live shots, and 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 you'd get very much. You'd you'd absolutely see. Uh, the genesis of how they of of their set design when you look at the hospital like you you see right. kind of how they move the camera in and out of this craziness that was great 
Yeah. Arthur Hiller directed it. He's uh, he's a guy who has been directing just forever. Uh, and he was also president of the uh, uh, Academy for a while. And so uh, I think he would pop out at uh, the Oscars every now and then. But yeah, he I mean, he's a gosh, he's been directing since the 50s. A lot of uh, big films that you don't think of as director's films, really. But things like Love Story, The Out of Towners, um, you've got uh, the in-laws, the original we're talking about for mm-hmm. those last two, the lonely guy, outrageous fortune, silver streak, see no evil, hear no evil, taking care of business, the babe, and of course he ended up uh, directing a film that ended up uh, he pulled his name from it and it became an Alan Smithy film, and that film was an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. Mm. So he himself uh, uh, has uh, chosen to pull the old Alan Smithy moniker for something. But he's, the, uh, you he's didn't mention around. author, author. I think that's one of the ones that I like and nobody else likes. I have never seen that, so oh, I can't. That's, that's I, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's done. He's he's done a lot of stuff, and I. That's why this was kind of a, a tough. Uh, you know, I it's tough to assign. Like you, I'm looking at this movie, and I look at the things that sort of fall apart for me, and I don't know where to put it. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a film, though. I mean, reading about this, uh, it seemed like as the writer, Patty Chayefsky had a lot of pull. Like he was really working with uh, uh, the producer on this. And I'm forgetting his name, but um, what is his name? He uh, produced a network with them, um, Howard Gottfried. They produced this together. And I and Patty Chayefsky essentially was an uncredited producer on this. I mean, he was helping pick the cast. He was helping uh, pick the director. They actually had somebody else on directing the film, and and Patty Chayefsky just really, really didn't like him at all and thought he was just doing a terrible job and and kicked him off. And and then he brought on um, uh, Arthur Hiller, who he had worked on before with uh gosh i want to say it was the americanization of emily i believe so um yeah it was michael ritchie is is who they had already hired with but um so i mean patty chavsky this truly is a film where it's it's the writer who is really kind of controlling everything and really the one who's behind everything even though um you know he came up at one point and gave um, George C. Scott a note and George C. Scott just laid into him and said, look, you stick to your bleep bleep uh, writing. I'll do the acting. So it's like he's one of those guys who, um, uh, I mean, he really, and you you could tell even in network, he really is a writer who needs to be involved with everything because they're his words. Yeah. He came from the world of playwriting where the writer is king and, and he still um, had that respect when he came to film. Well, and it was fascinating that, you know, he was able to keep that respect when so many other writers had have given it up. Yeah, right. Arthur Hiller actually commented um, to the author of a Patty Chavsky biography. Uh, Arthur Hiller said, people often say to me, you've done two pictures with Patty. How did you get through it? My answer always is, when a genius speaks, I listen. He's really the only genius I ever worked with. He was way above the rest of us. Wow. So, well, that's yeah. kind. That is very kind. That is very kind. And I, I think it also goes to show that, uh, you know, Patty Chayefsky, some people felt a little difficult to, uh, to have on set. He was, uh, you know, he was very particular with his words and how they were, how they were treated. Well, rightfully and, so. Rightfully so, and the you know the work speaks to it, uh, and and uh, I I still go back to your characterization of this film. For me, it all boils down to the to um, a, a training ground for the great. It I I had I after watching Network last week, I I came into this film expecting and and deeply wanting that same sort of reaction, right? And uh, and what I got were, um, you know, as we've we've I, I've felt like this with a number of films we've talked about. Uh, such great components mm-hmm. in this film, and there's so many different elements and characters that I really like. And when they're put all together, it just doesn't resonate uh, for me as well. So, and it's funny because for me, it really you can really tell when it's all changing when all of a sudden you hear that little musical sting. Right. <laughs> the right. little ding is like the little horror sting. 
uh, just like, oh, here we go down this road. Well, yeah, and you know, that's an important thing to talk about because this movie is is uh, stark when it comes to, you know, music and, yeah, uh, you know, they're, they're, you, you don't get the music. What you get a lot of uh, is, uh, you know, room sound and surgery sound and clinking of tables and lots and lots of voices and uh, it's just a, a mud of of these great environmental uh, this great environmental audio uh, and so when you get the you know <laughs> those little stingers and and music beds it's uh, distracting or it's mm-hmm. not distracting but jarring it's jarring it comes out of nowhere it kind of that's where it shifts from the satire to mm-hmm. all of a sudden, oh, now we're getting into the plot. Yes. Now we're getting, now we're, now we're really plotting, yes. uh, you know, the, the film out. And, you know, it just felt like, okay, here we go. That's exactly <laughs> it. Did yep. you, uh, did you find any numbers on this one? I, I couldn't find any numbers other than how much it made. I couldn't find anything that said uh, how much it cost, but uh, it made 14 million. And, you know, in the context, I think it, uh, it did pretty well for itself. I mean, it got uh, some Oscar nominations. It did win an Oscar for Patty Chayefsky, as we said. Um, but it wasn't Rocky. It wasn't mm-hmm. Network. You know, it it did well enough for itself, um, but not uh, not like knocking the crowds down. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that that feels about right. Yeah. Uh, okay. What what I'm I, I'm done with this movie. Yeah, I I think we hit it all. All right, let's do the uh, let's flick chart it. All righty. Let's let's keep climbing toward that big golden one hundred. Here, here. And uh, people can find us over at flickchart.com slash the next reel. All right. People should people should do that. They should. The hospital or Sandlot. Sandlot. Totally. The hospital or the parallax view. Parallax view. The hospital or Bull Durham. <laughs> oh come on! You, it's totally do, Bull Durham. You do this one. It's totally yeah. Bull okay, Durham. it's Bull Durham. It's Bull Durham. I know you just didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> the hospital or forty two. Mm. Ah, you know the. Of course, the poster that they have up for forty two doesn't have anything to do with baseball. It's Jackie Robinson sitting on a bus with his lovely wife. And just seeing those two together, I'm like, gosh, you know, they yeah. were a great pair. I really enjoyed watching them. 42. Yeah. All right. The Hospital or Strange Days? It's totally the totally hospital. Totally the hospital. We have a winner. The Hospital or The Fifth Element? I am totally going with The Hospital. I'm going to give it to you. Only because right. I'm, it's late and I'm weak. <laughs> That's right. I finally caught you off I'm guard. Too, the too ho- weak to fight. <laughs> the hospital or alien resurrection? Oh come on! <laughs> I would put on alien resurrection first. You would really? Yeah. yeah. You, you would put on alien resurrection before the first seventy minutes of the hospital. <laughs> I'll get. I no. I'll give it to you because I'm. It's a. It, you know what? It's. It's funny. I. Uh, this is not a movie that I need to see a bunch more times. Yeah. No, you're right. This is a movie, though, that I would find myself coming back to just to hear some good writing. Yeah. Okay. Like, if I wanted, if I wanted to, to hear, like, some great character repartee, if I wanted to look at some satire and really kind of tune into that, I would go to this film. Alien Resurrection, there's no reason. I mean, I, I will watch Alien Resurrection likely more than I would watch The Hospital. It shames me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a terrible film, but it's a part of a series, and for that, I end up feeling more obligated to it, which is terrible. All right, I'm gonna give you the hospital because I feel like I, I will. There, there's a context in which I will watch it again, and that is about the overall dialogue of healthcare films, because there <laughs> are there are films that have important things to say about uh, about the cultural condition of healthcare, and I, I I like it in that respect a lot. Yeah. All right. All right. We're at number 83 out of 87. Okay. Just give me the list of 84 through 87. Alien Resurrection, The Fifth Element, Strange Days, and Rush. I just needed to hear them all in a row. They didn't actually (laughs) rank it against Rush. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Well, we better. (laughs) Yeah. I think think Flickchart just knows, ah, we won't bother them with Rush again. (laughs) 
next week we're doing our final Patty Chayefsky film. We're doing uh, Marty from 19... What fifty something? Fifty five. Fifty five, and yeah. and that's another one that was uh, that was inspired by a a, um, yeah, a real life experience from Chayefsky. It's going to be another one, interesting one to talk about with Ernest Borgnine. Mm-hmm. Borgnine. Absolutely. You know what I like about Ernest Borgnine because his last name sounds like something you do to a steak. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like how would you how would you like I, that cook so I'd like that Borgnine. I'd like a Borg nine. Medium Borg nine. <laughs> uh, it's a beef I, I Borg hadn't nine. Thought of that, but sure. <laughs> and now you're going to say it. You're going to go into Roots Chris, and you're going to say, uh, "I'd like a beef Borg nine." <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, say that a few more times uh, after yeah. we're finished, and it won't mean anything to you anymore. You'll That's never right. be able to say it right. Uh, I won't. I won't. I'm gonna really have to think about that. Woo. Uh, anything hot that we're going to see uh, between now and, and our next uh, experience together? Well, we've got The Great Gatsby coming out this weekend. That's this weekend. And then we have uh, next weekend is uh, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted everybody to be ready. Yeah, that's right. Pete's ready. I'm ready. I'm so ready. Got Pete my is u- building got my his uniform. own time machine right now so he can <laughs> beam himself forward Could in not time. not come fast enough. That's right. I want to see this movie so badly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know what good. we got? I want to shout out to uh, to uh, uh, Sarmento for the uh, recommendation of Gravity. Mm, the trailer, Man, yeah. And that looks horrifying. I think we're I think we're in for that one in October. It's a yeah, it, the whole idea of that just it, you it's know nauseating. it's 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 like taking what was that open water film? Open yeah. water. Yeah, open water. It's like that without the sharks but in space. It's I, it's like <laughs> what's worse? I don't know. I, either one is pretty much absolutely sucks in every way. In every way. Yeah, every uh, possible way. Yeah, gravity is funny because it's like a fear that I've had uh, in the back of my head all my life that I've never actually seen, like, on display, mm-hmm. right? That fear of floating off into space, like that, and just where the whole movie is about that. I know. Oh. I, I'm Make curious to sick. see how Al- how Alfonso Cor- Cuaron makes that run the full length of the film. I'm very <laughs> curious to see. I mean, it's completely doable. I just, I want to see him do it. It's, it would be interesting. Unfortunately, it's only a seven minute movie. I don't know if you heard that. It's seven minutes of terror. So the trailer was really, the just trailer like, was, yeah, it was two part, and a half part minutes. One. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Yeah. Me too. All right. And I'm spent. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today.